I'm Sylvia Burgos Tofnes, and this is Deep Roots Radio. Every week, my guests help us connect the dots between what we eat and how it's grown because every single food dollar we spend either protects or degrades the environment, produces foods with high nutrition or empty calories, and either helps pay a fair wage or keeps farm workers among the working poor. We get to make that choice every time we push a cart through the grocery store, visit the farmer's market, and eat at a restaurant. I hope you enjoy this interview. I don't remember exactly when I started gardening, but I I do recall my mom giving me permission to plant tomatoes when I was about 19 years old at our new backyard. Uh, I planted them, I fed them, I watered them. And what I ended up with were plants that were about six feet high and not a single tomato on them. But that wasn't the tomato's fault. I I had planted them in a pretty uh, shadowy spot in the backyard. Uh, Things did get better over the years, though. And one of my guides was my grandma, who could make things grow anywhere whether it was in the tiny little sandy back lot on Staten Island where we would spend our summers or on the um, fire escape in her Manhattan tenement building, things grew for grandma. Well, let's fast forward a little bit. And it's now uh, the early 80s and it's my first yard. I'm planting in in a wonderful South Minneapolis yard, and I decided to do it organically. And so in this instance, I was guided by many of the books by Rodale Press. And it was then that I became acquainted with an organization called the Seed Savers Exchange. Now, Seed Savers is uh, a formal organization, but its purpose is to really protect and perpetuate open pollinated seeds from all over the world. Uh, And so these were the the tomatoes that your grandfather or grandmother would grow. They were the beans that were saved on a farm over several generations. And it was by meeting some of these seed savers people that I I learned many startling and sometimes very disturbing things. For example, at, at one of their meetings, I heard from a gentleman from Asia who explained that saving seeds in his country Uh, was illegal. And in fact, his livelihood and sometimes people's lives were threatened by saving the seeds that they had grown for generations because that activity interfered with a political agenda in that country. I I would have never known that seed saving was such a political activity. But I guess when you are involved in saving the seed that then can feed people, Uh, it might have really big impact. Well, that was many years ago, and today, here we are in 2015. And one of the things I like to do is, in fact, is buy heritage seeds and grow things out and maybe save a a, a tomato or save some beans and, and share those seeds with my friend. Well, little did I know that perhaps this activity here in the U.S. might also be questionable. And we have on the line with us this morning, Neil Thapar, who is a staff attorney with the Sustainable Economies Law Center, headquartered in California. 
Neil, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Tell us a little bit more about the Sustainable Economies Law Center. What, what does it really do and what does it focus on? Sure. So uh, Sustainable Economies Law Center, we call ourselves SELC, um, is a nonprofit legal organization. And we exist to uh, promote and to create kind of the legal infrastructure that's going to support a transition to a different economy, a, one, an economy that, that's based on uh, local wealth creation and that serves the needs of communities as they determine what those needs are rather than the way that our current economy exists, which is to aggregate wealth and to consolidate it um, and usually have that wealth leave communities when they spend their money at, at stores in their neighborhoods. And so the way that, and so it touches all aspects of our lives. And so one aspect that it, that it touches is our food system. And so our goal is to remove some of the legal barriers that exist to people lo- relocalizing our, our food systems. Um, and so making it easier for people to grow food in urban areas, making it easier for people to share food and share seeds with each other, to run um, micro enterprises selling food that they've made at home, for instance, um, to preserve per- permanent affordable um, farmland for, for new farmers who are coming onto the land. Um, and we've seen a, a huge spike in farmland prices um, over the last decade. And so, you know, what does that mean for uh, food production? And are we going to continue to aggregate land in industrial models? Or are we going to allow for people to work smaller parcels of land and serve local markets and regional markets. So all of these are different ways that um, we want to insert ourselves um, as, um, as lawyers to be able to support um, communities in, in relocalizing uh, their economies and, and their food systems. And so we see a lot of legal barriers that need to be um, uh, broken down, and, and that's our goal. Seed saving is something that I thought was easily done and totally acceptable in the United States. What is it that you are, you have found out? What has your law office kind of discovered? Unbeknownst to us, we thought the same thing that you did. We thought that people could share seeds freely um, and that there weren't any laws that barred people from doing that. But uh, we heard about a seed library uh, in Pennsylvania back in June of 2014 being told by the state's Department of Agriculture that what they were doing, which is essentially just sharing seeds with their community and allowing the community to share seeds with each other, um, would potentially violate the state seed law. And so that kind of surprised us um, because, you know, of all things that that people might share with each other, um, seeds are, are something that we've been sharing over thousands of years and essentially is the foundation of our, of our agricultural system. So this was kind of a shock to, to all of us. Um, and so we decided to do a little more research, and we found out that, indeed, there are state seed laws in, in every state in the United States. Um, but, they're, but they're actually intended to regulate the commercial sale of seeds. And so they were being applied kind of in this strange way where the Department of Agriculture was saying that what seed libraries were doing was selling seed, as they defined it. And so because of that, then they would have to comply with the rest of the the regulations in order to be able to do that. Otherwise, it would be violating the law. So, Neil, could you you do me a favor and and could you describe what a seed library is? 
Sure. So a seed library is basically a public place. Um, it can be a nonprofit organization. It can be a cooperative. It can be even um, run by a local government. Um, but it's open to the public, and it's a place where um, people gather to check out, essentially, seeds the way that you would check out a book at a regular book library. And then you can plant them um, in your garden and grow them out. And then the idea is that at the end of the season, you will then save some seeds from those plants and then return them back to the seed library uh, to be shared with others the next season. It's it's pretty much as simple as that. And so they run up against state law because of a misunderstanding between the law and how a seed library works. Could you go through that again? Sure, yeah. So I really think that the misunderstanding here in this case comes from the the departments of agriculture and kind of how they – what their interpretation of a seed library is. And so the way that I just described it is where people check out and return seeds. That's that's what a seed library is. There's no exchange of money. Mm. Um, And – these state seed laws were written um, to regulate the seeds trade and, and sales of seeds from seed companies to farmers. And there's a good reason for that, um, because farmers need to know that the seed that they're getting is of good quality. And so it's basically a consumer protection law um, for farmers. So it exists for a good reason. And, and you know, departments of agriculture have been applying and, and enforcing this law for as long as they've been on the books. Uh, but this is a new direction that they're taking the law in, and, and I think it's a misapplication of the law because um, these rules don't fit well with what seed libraries are doing, and, and the consumer protection needs don't exist for people who are just food in their backyard for themselves um, as they do for farmers who are growing food for as a livelihood. So according to the laws, I mean, what kinds of things – are commercial seed companies required to do in order to comply with that law? Yeah, that's a good question. So there are three main requirements, and um, they vary from state to state, but they all sort of exist. Um, The first being that um, seeds that are sold need to be labeled in in pretty great detail. Um, So that must include the type of seed, the variety, um, whether there are any weeds in the seed by weight, uh, whether there are any other seeds that are other than the variety that you're, that you're selling and labeling them as also by weight. Um, so there's a labeling requirement. So the next one then is testing. And so germination tests are the next requirement that you see in state seed laws. And this is to ensure that the seed that is being sold is actually of a good enough quality for farmers to use. And so there's a requirement, depending on the variety, of what percentage of seeds um, actually germinate. And so the way that you do this is by sending your seeds to a lab, and they test them um, and send them back to you and tell you whether you've met the standard or not. Mm-hmm. And then the third requirement is a permitting requirement. So the Departments of Agriculture want to know who's selling seed in the state. And so this is usually an annual permit that you have to get from the Department of Agriculture which is usually a minimal fee, and then essentially some states will charge more based on how much quantity of seed you're selling. So those are the three main requirements that seed companies have to follow. Um, and, and this is a little bit simplified. There are some more details in there, but that's essentially those are the rules. These 
rules make a lot of sense if you're selling right. a lot of seed on the commercial uh, market, and especially to farmers who then have to make their own livelihood from it. But right. and, and these laws, I guess, have they've been on the books for a long time. It varies. Um, some of them are from the 30s, as, as early as the 30s, and some of them are as new as um, you know 2004. I've, I've seen. Well, I would think that most um, legislative bodies or enforcing bodies would take a look at a seed library and say, you know, that's not obviously not the same thing, and maybe they will simply not enforce the law. But is that the case? Is, is it simply a matter of people turning a blind eye, or are there some states where this is actually being enforced? Up until last year, I don't think that Departments of Agriculture had even had seed libraries on their radar. Um, this is not an area, most seed libraries are in urban areas, uh, not close to farms, not really dealing with farms so much. So this was not something that I think anybody even paid attention to. Since then, however, some states have decided that they're going to interpret their seed laws to apply to seed libraries. And so it started with Pennsylvania, but now um, Minnesota, Nebraska, uh, and Maryland as well have all interpreted their seed laws to apply to seed libraries. And um, and so I think it, it varies by state, and it depends on who the regulator is and whether or not they feel like this is something that they want to address. And it's just been a state-by-state uh, process so far. And and the, the difference, really, I think, is which is important to state, is that these, these rules are, are good rules for seed companies. However, they actually cost a lot. And if you're a seed company, then you have an investment in your, in your company that allows you to pay for this. But uh, people who are sharing seeds at libraries, there's, this is all volunteer run for the most part. And so there's not a, a way for, if these rules are applied, these seed libraries can't operate the way they've been operating. And, and that has really serious consequences for people who live in urban areas, who have gardens, who want access to seeds, which is something that um, at Sustainable Economies Law Center, we feel people should have a right to um, without having to comply with these laws that make it very expensive to run a seed library. You mentioned that there are several states where um, those states are enforcing these uh, seed uh, laws, the ones that were created Mm -hmm. to be applicable to the commercial setting, to the seed libraries, which are really, as you said, volunteer efforts, and they're meant for that home gardener. So what is being done in those four states? You mentioned Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Nebraska, and Maryland. Is there any effort to push back on the enforcement, or what's going on there? Yeah, there, there definitely um, are efforts, um, and, and we are, are, are thankful to be a part of those efforts um, itself. So, you know, when we found out about this, we uh, did some research, and, and like I mentioned earlier, sort of found that the laws were being misinterpreted, at least in, in, in Pennsylvania. And so we decided, you know, this is, fits right in with, with our mission. And, of course, there are seed libraries in all of those states, um, and they are at risk now of being shut down um, or having to comply with these laws, which they can't do. So we thought that we would um, to try to help organize some groups in those states to propose um, – an amendment to the state feed law 
to exempt seed libraries from the law so that the Department of Agriculture then could not use that um, and apply that law to seed libraries. And, and we thought that fit with the intent of the seed laws because they were intended to regulate only commercial sales and not the free sharing. So, so yes, there's um, there's been legislation and, and or, a lot of organizing happening um, around the country through through a petition that we started online, um, which is at saveseedsharing.org. Um, and it's an, it's an online petition, and, and we've received a, a remarkable amount of support so far for that. And that led to groups in Minnesota, Nebraska, Illinois, um, and Pennsylvania organizing to advocate for changes to the law to exempt seed libraries. Wow. So are any laws now kind of being entertained? Uh, anything that's close to um, being voted on? Yeah, yeah, there are. So the, the one that's closest, I would say, is in Minnesota. Um, there's a, an amendment that was introduced, and it is going through the legislative process right now. It was um, it went through a, a committee hearing and passed out um, of the committee with unanimous support. And so we expect that by the end of this legislative session that that, that bill will pass and, and hopefully be signed into law at the end of the year. So that one's the closest, and so we're most excited about that. And um, there's a couple other bills that were introduced in Nebraska and Iowa and Illinois. Right now, it's hard to say whether whether those are going to move forward this year. Um, uh, we did we did receive opposition to our our bill from the Seed Trade Association, the American Seed Trade Association, which is a, a trade association of seed companies. I'm not sure if those are going to pass this year, but if we get Minnesota's law passed this year, then I think that'll serve as one example of how um, you know other states can move forward to protect seed libraries in the future. And so I think that'll be a good precedent going forward. If someone wants to find out more about this, the best way I think is for people to to go on to safeseedsharing.org, sign the petition. Um, because then you will um, receive a, just a once-monthly sort of update um, as to sort of what's going on. The other, the other way, if, if um, people don't want to sign the petition, is to go to our website, which is theself.org, it's P-H-E-S-E-L-C.org, slash, backslash, um, save seed sharing, and, and save seed sharing our space by the underscore. So save underscore seed underscore sharing. It's really important for anybody who's interested in um, kind of learning about our food system to really include uh, seeds in that equation because seeds really are where our food system begins and ends. Um, and, and there's a lot, this, this issue of seed libraries kind of is just one that's being highlighted that's a part of a broader context of issues related to our access and our uh, ability to, to use and to share seeds with each other. And so I, I think it's really important to connect those dots um, within the food system. And then outside of that, I think, you know, looking at how our food economy um, mirrors our broader economy um, is also an important connection to make because I think this, this idea of consolidation of wealth or consolidation, in this case, of seed, um, is, is a thread and a, a, that's common among a lot of different 
areas of our economy that includes renewable energy, includes housing, transportation, um, even even wages, um, even you know the, the kind of livelihoods that people can make. All of this is kind of tied together, and, and that's what we hope to um, to kind of bring to life at the Sustainable Economies Law Center. Well, thank you so much, Neil. I, you know, we've touched on one topic, the seed savings, and at that we just, in fact, you know, gave it a few minutes. So I hope that maybe you and I can chat again about some of the other issues of key concern to the Sustainable Economies Law Center. Do you think that might be possible? Yeah, I think that would be lovely. Love good enough. That. Well, thanks an awful lot, Neil. I hope that you have a good day then. Thank you, Sylvia. Take care. Visit my website, bronxtobarn.com, to download this and past interviews, to learn about my farm, and to reserve 100% grass-fed beef. We deliver to Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks.